Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. The rebanding of council tax on HMOs across the country is a growing issue. This, over the last couple of years, has spread like a virus. Perhaps it's affected you, perhaps it's affected people that you know. But one thing is for sure, this, if left unchecked, could be catastrophic for our industry. Now, today I'm joined by Wendy Whitaker-Large. Wendy is a hugely experienced investor in her own right, but Today, I want to talk to Wendy about what is going on, this disaggregation of council tax and sort of the rebanding of HMOs, and what we can do about it. Now, fortunately for us, Wendy and her crack team have been spearheading a campaign to put a stop to this. Today, I want to talk to Wendy about this. I want to find out what's going on, what we can expect, what we need to be aware of, and more importantly, what we can all be doing. This is a hugely important episode for anybody, but particularly anybody investing in professional HMOs. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of the HMO Podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Hi, Wendy. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Andy, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Wendy, I've seen your face around our HMO community and the property community for a long, long time. So I know you are a veteran in this industry. And more recently, and this is something I'm really keen to talk about today, I know that you've been doing a lot of work around the issues that a lot of people in our community are experiencing when it comes to council tax. And you know what? I think my understanding and awareness of this is actually quite limited because it hasn't affected me personally yet. And a lot of my stuff is student, but I know that our wider community are really concerned about this. And I know that there's a lot of people, including yourself, doing great stuff. So today I would love to get into the weeds of this. And I'm sure that you've got a lot of advice and experience and guidance to share with our community. But perhaps before we get there, for anybody in our sort of community or any of our listeners that haven't come across you, I don't know perhaps quite as much as I do about you, Wendy. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you've been doing in the property industry for you know the last sort of however many years? 
Well, thank you, Andy. Yeah, I, I've been involved in property for over 20 years now. Uh, first started investing over 20 years, actually in a student HMO, although it wasn't a, called an HMO at that stage. It was just a multi-let, you know, shared house. Grew my portfolio very, very slowly. There was no internet training or online training or any in-person training, really. There was a few bits and pieces of courses, but nothing that really kind of floated my boat. And certainly it was all incredibly expensive. So I just carried on working. I had a, a young family at the time. So I was a mom, wife, you know, I did, did that kind of was a really big part of my life. Still is actually, but my, my children are somewhat older now. And then about 10 years ago, with a small portfolio of Vitalettes, I rediscovered HMOs. And I realized that the job that I was in, I wasn't very happy. I didn't have much freedom. I knew that I'd be working till I was 65 and then drawing a pension. And I didn't want that for my life. And I decided that I would really throw myself back in to shared living but actually a very different form of shared living because it was much more modern, much more up-to-date, much more well thought out. So I then started investing in HMOs. And as with most people, after my second HMO, I ran out of my own money. So I was very stuck. I didn't know which way to turn, but I started to raise money from investors. And that's really then how I kind of grew my portfolio over the next five years, rapidly growing my portfolio from two HMOs to, uh, I think we had 26 at one point. So we had a lot of HMOs. Now we've actually sold a couple of those HMOs where you get to a good size portfolio. You can be, you can be a little bit more critical in a good way. You need to critique your portfolio and say, what's working, what isn't? And we had a couple of HMOs that weren't really terribly profitable. So we sold those and sort of reshaped the portfolio. So I've carried on buying. I'm, I love buying property. I just can't stop buying property. <laughs> I'm not really a handbags girl, but I am a, a property girl. So we now have a portfolio of Vitalettes, HMOs. We have commercial property. We own a pub in Stoke-on-Trent, which is a pub. So I'm actually a landlady to a landlord, or is it the other way around? Anyway, whichever one it is, that's me. We also have a couple of blocks of flats that we own, and we're getting into development as well. We've got a piece of land that we're just working on right now to decide uh, what direction we should go in. So yeah, it's, it's great fun. I also have a lettings agency which I set up as a result of setting up my HMO portfolio a few years ago. There wasn't really a specialist HMO agency where we lived, so I kind of fell into it. But thankfully, now I have a team who runs that for me. So I don't, uh, I'm not so involved in the day-to-day. -day. It's much more hands-off and strategic. So, yeah, and I've written a couple of books about HMOs, 101 Essential Tips for Running a Professional HMO, number one bestseller on Amazon. I'll just say that. And also uh, extraordinary profits from ordinary properties, how to change your job, change your life with just five properties or less. Well, I mean, that is some resume, Wendy. You know, there's no doubt at all that you have a huge amount of experience in this game. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to you today. And this feels like a very much overdue conversation. Actually, when I reached out to you, I noticed that we had exchanged as far back as I think 2004. 14, 15. And then you and I have been very busy getting on with our own things and building the businesses. But I'm sure that you have sort of pretty much seen it and done it all, Wendy. So 
Yeah. Well, I've done a lot. There are certain things I still haven't done and I would love to do. You know, that's the great thing about property is that you you kind of fall into it. You learn a lot about the general different approaches. Then you choose a strategy, you go for it. But then you actually can start to diversify again after that because you've got the knowledge, you've got the skill, you've got the contacts, you've got the confidence to do it. And that's kind of what I enjoy now is, is looking at a project and thinking, mm, what could we do with this? We could turn it to flats. We could do another HMO. We could do this. We could do that. We could do the other. And it's a really nice place to be. So, yeah. And yeah, like likewise, it's very good to reconnect with you, Andy. You mentioned finance, Wendy, and you, you, know, you said something that I really resonate with and something that I've spoken a lot of, about over the years, which is, you know, very quickly you can run out of money unless you are quite creative about finding solutions to put that, that capital in place so that you can continue reinvesting. But that's, of course, just one part of this puzzle. You've built a really successful portfolio, a really successful business, or group of businesses, if you like. What do you think has enabled you to do that? I, I imagine there's a, there's a number of ingredients that if you step back and look at that have all contributed. But for our listeners who are you know maybe a few years behind and, and want to emulate that sort of growth in their portfolio, Wendy, what sort of stuff do you think has made it possible? Is it the location? Is it the people? Is it finance? What would you say? It's hard work. It's things, really. It's not easy if you're going to do this and you've got a family, a job, other caring responsibilities, for example. You have to find a way of doing this. So you're going to have to give up some stuff. And I had to give up quite a lot of things that I kind of enjoyed doing as hobbies. I, I just couldn't do them anymore. But I always felt that, for example, health and fitness was important. So I always tried to fit that in because I felt that was key to me being able to have the energy to be able to work long and hard. Because if you haven't got the energy, it doesn't matter how many hours you've got free. You haven't got the ability to get up and get out there and do the viewings and meet the investors and do the networking. So I think you've got to be prepared to work hard. I think it's about giving it your best every day every single day you have to get up and say right what have I got to achieve today what am I doing today I think goal setting is very important but I think goal setting which then has a plan it's not just a goal that is a kind of hazy dream that doesn't have any action behind it I think you've got to be very very specific and I think again when you set real goals real goals that you are meaningfully attached to it means that you have to say no to lots of other things. And there's loads of opportunities that I've had to turn down because I've wanted to do some very specific things in my business. For example, grow my cash flow or build further properties or do further developments. Those all take time. They take money. And you have to focus on, on doing that. You, you can't just do all the nice things. You've also got to do some of the harder you know, not necessarily nasty things, but more difficult things and be adaptable enough to be able to tackle those head on and, and do it. You have to actually get out there and take action and do it. But I do think persistency and consistency are two of the key ways in which you create a bit of a snowball effect uh, with your business. Yeah, I agree more, Wendy. Those two words, persistency and consistency, I think, yeah, I would underline them as well because it is tough at times. It's, it's not easy. It's just the continuous sort of work and grind and, and effort to find the right projects, to make them happen, to hold on to builders, to recycle cash and be able to move on to the next one, keep up with the legislation. Obviously, part of which we, we're going to touch on today. There is so much. And I think that that's some, some really superb advice to share to a lot of people because I do think that... HMOs are more and more touted as this sort of last hurrah of investing in buy to let. And I'm not sure I completely agree with that, but in the same breath, it's not easy. Like you said, it is tough and you really have to know what you're doing. And I think the days of being 
an accidental landlord, certainly in the HMO space, have have well and truly gone. I think you've really got to be a professional, really know what you're doing, be really structured, be really intentional about what you're doing, like you said, in, in having those goals and set it and being really, really committed to the actions that you do take. So yeah, I completely agree with you, Wendy. And I guess this is a, an ever-changing game as well, which is one of the really tough things about it. I mean, just the amount of legislation that's come in over the last sort of Oh, wow. I mean, the last 20 years, but even the last sort of four or five years, it's significant and it's making it increasingly challenging. I think certainly what I'm seeing is it's it's pushing more and more people out of the industry. It's scaring people away from the industry, people who could otherwise come and do great things. And I think that this is something that we should really be talking about to help people, but also to make people more and more aware, because I think there are people who just don't know about some of the stuff that is happening. And, and that all needs to be, certainly in my opinion, factored in. And this council tax issue, this this sort of thing that has been circling for quite a while now, I've got to admit that, you know, I haven't really paid it much attention because it hasn't been in my face. It hasn't been on my doorstep. But I have been talking to more and more people who've been impacted by this, getting letters, finding that all of a sudden their deals might not work. And a lot of people, of course, who want to build their portfolios, you know, like we're talking about, are increasingly concerned about whether or not this is going to make it impossible for them to do or, you know, certainly so challenging that it may not even be worth it. So, Wendy, can you sort of just from a high level sort of summarise what is going on with this whole council tax piece? Why are we talking about it? What is the concern here and what is happening? So let me take you kind of back a bit, give you a bit of context. We all have heard of council tax. We all probably pay council tax. If we don't, please give me a ring because I want to know how you're getting away with not paying it. But (laughs) most of us who live in a residential property have a council tax bill. And council tax was brought in in 1992. And it was a result of the government trying to bring in what was the poll tax, the community charge. But that went down like a lead balloon. There are other uh, metaphors I could use. But anyway, it did not go down very well. And instead, there was a piece of legislation that was really rushed through Parliament. And what it was was a property tax so that everybody who lives in a property each property would have its own banding so properties are put into bandings of different levels starting at a which is the cheapest right up to i think g which is the most expensive and your local council will every year decide how much they are going to charge for each of those bands for council tax and that goes to cover all sorts of local authority services now The council tax, originally, the way it was formed, the way it was created, was per dwelling. So a property, which would also be known as a dwelling, and the description of what the dwelling is and the actual uh, definition of a dwelling is part of the problem that we have here. But if, let's say, a normal two-bed terraced house or three-bed terraced house, that might be band A or band B, that's one dwelling, it has one council tax bill, simple. Now, let's move forward to the sort of mid-2015, 2016, uh, that kind of period of time. What had happened was there's been a growth, of course, in the HMO industry. HMOs have, have sprung up all over the place. It's been a popular form of investment for investors, despite the growth of legislation such as extra licensing conditions and extra legislation about for example, EPCs and safety certificates and so on, still HMOs are continuing to grow and develop. There's a bigger need for them in cities, particularly where there are students, but also for professionals as well. It's a way of life choice for many tenants. 
So what we found was that uh, the valuation office agency who are responsible for giving a band to a dwelling had started to what we call disaggregate properties. So they would, for example, take, let's say, a large HMO, an eight or nine bed HMO. Now, these would be HMOs where maybe you have en suites in all the rooms, you have perhaps a couple of kitchens. You know, we're talking about a fairly substantial size building. And when these properties were being converted, they may have been originally a commercial building. So they would have been on business rates. So immediately the valuation office agency has to get involved in rebanding that property because, of course, it's moving from a business rate to a council tax. And they have to decide what banding they're going to give the property. Now, that's, of course, then up to the sort of decision of the licensing officer. The, the licensing officer has discretion, as it's known, to say, mm, I think this property is a band F, or I think this property is really two dwellings and it should be two band Cs, depending on maybe how it's organised or how it's split up. But what was actually happening was that the listings officers were saying, actually, each of these rooms is a dwelling in its own right. And therefore, we're going to apply council tax ban to each of the rooms. So what we saw was that from about 2015, 2016 onwards, with the additional discretion that licensing, licensing officers were being given, the growth in rooms being rebanded was really starting to grow. And just kind of on the grapevine, I was hearing that people were having problems with HMOs because their rooms had been rebanded. But like you, it hadn't affected me. In fact, it has never affected me. We're some of the lucky ones where our rooms have never been rebanded. However, I was I was just conscious that this was happening. Then in 2020, yes, the end of 2020, a client of mine I run a mentoring and training program like you do called HMO Success. And a client of mine came to me and was very, very worried because his beautiful six bed, fully ensuite HMO had been rebanded for council tax, all the rooms. And at that stage, he believed he was responsible for paying the council tax because in the HMO regulations, it makes it clear that HMOs are banded individually for council tax, you know, the whole property. And in that situation, the landlord is responsible for paying the council tax. He didn't know at that stage, and I didn't know at that stage, that actually it passes to the tenant. The responsibility shifts to the tenant when the rooms have been rebanded. But at that stage, we didn't know that. So he started to pay six times council tax on this building. And of course, it was horrendously expensive for him. And we decided that we would fight this. So together, we kind of joined forces and I helped him formulate a letter to the VOA and we fought the case and he won. The appeal, or the I suppose it was really a complaint at the beginning because we hadn't really got to appeal stage, overturned the decision of the listings officer. He had all his extra council tax refunded, and the house went back into a band B, and it was then listed. It was relisted as a single dwelling. So I felt very pleased about this, and I, I thought, right, that's that's a real win. This shows that we can beat the system. This shows that we can challenge the VOA and overturn their decision to reband a property. There is hope. But I hadn't known anybody else individually who this had happened to until a few months later when somebody said to me, have you met this swarthy fellow called Darren Brewer from Portsmouth? And up at that time, up until then, my life was fairly normal. And then I met Darren. 
And Darren has a company called ProPods and all of his rooms had been rebanded. And every time he did a new development, the VOA were coming in and rebanding the house individually. So, well, I, I can tell you a bit more about what we then did perhaps in a, in a little while. But the situation at the moment is that the valuation office agency have discretion. If you are building or developing an HMO, whether it's from a uh, an ordinary residential property or if it's commercial property, there is a big risk that your rooms will be rebanded. We've also discovered that it doesn't matter if it has an ensuite or it doesn't. It also doesn't even matter if it's licensed or not. There's somebody who sits on the committee who's got a four-bed HMO in Barnsley without ensuite, and his rooms have been rebanded for council tax. So it can happen to anybody. We've heard it happening to student HMOs. We've heard it happening to you know professional HMOs, to HMOs that are used for the charity sector, maybe where there are people who are vulnerable or on benefits. Uh, it doesn't matter who you rent to. It doesn't matter the really your tenancies. It can happen to anybody. So this was the, the context in which we formed the HMO Council Tax Reform Group last year. So you've shared so much there, Wendy, that I didn't know. And actually, I'm really quite shocked and really quite concerned because I think really what you're saying is it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, you could end up getting one of these letters and being told that you've got to pay substantially more council tax. And I think while that in itself is concerning, just the uncertainty of of knowing, am I going to be affected by this or, you know, am I not going to be affected by this? Sounds sort of like we're, we're kind of just walking blindfolded across a minefield. And I guess sort of the first thing that comes to my mind is, what on earth do we do about this? How do we safeguard ourselves from this happening to us? But before we get there, and I think you were, it was probably where we were going with this, Wendy, was I'd like to talk about what you've been doing. You and a lot of people have been doing some incredible work. And obviously you shared this story then of, of challenging one and that seemed to work. But I guess I'm thinking that that's probably not the case every single time. Otherwise, this might be a bit a bit more sort of cut and dry than, than perhaps it is. So what have you been doing since you did that one and you managed to sort of challenge it and you were successful? What have you been doing since then, Wendy? And where has this all moved? Because from what I've been seeing and I guess observing it's that this problem seems to have continued to grow and grow and grow, which I guess it becomes increasingly concerning. You're absolutely right. Once Darren and I had a couple of initial chats, he introduced me to his barrister, Alan. Now, Alan Murdy is the, the UK's national expert on council tax. He's written 13 books on council tax, and he knows council tax inside, outside, upside down. Being a barrister as well, clearly he's got a very sound law background. So we decided that we would form a group, a small committee. We didn't have a name at that stage to fight this situation. And we started really by talking about what our strategy could be and where we could see this going and where it was heading. And we realized that we needed the community to come alongside us and be part of what we were doing. So we had a couple of meetings and a couple of other people joined us on the committee, other HMO landlords, some of whom had been affected and some haven't been affected. And we started a Facebook group and we started to, you know, really kind of just develop a little bit of traction there, telling the community that we wanted to change this iniquitous situation. And as you say, Andy, one of the reasons why we believe it is so unfair is because of the inconsistency of the application of the policy. 
So, for example, I've got a number of HMOs in Stoke. I have friends who also have HMOs in Stoke. One of my friends has had her, I think it's a nine-bed HMO rebanded individually for council tax. None of ours have been rebanded individually for council tax. How is that fair? So her HMO now, uh, she has passed the council tax on to the tenants. The tenants are responsible for paying, which is the correct treatment. But the difficulty is that they are now responsible for that. So they have to budget for that. So she has to lower her rent in order to take account of the fact they're now paying a little bit towards the council, when originally she was going to be paying that. She has to bear in mind that if she has a void, a vacancy, whether it's two weeks or two months, that during that time, the council tax responsibility goes back to her because it's an empty dwelling. And under the, the empty dwellings order, she's now responsible for paying the council tax. So it's, a, it's an administrative nightmare as well as a financial nightmare. And it puts her on the back foot. It means that as an HMO investor, who's a very capable woman and very able to do this, she is put off investing in this type of accommodation. And yet we know there is massive demand for this kind of accommodation. While I can sit pretty and rent my rooms out, put my rent up and I don't have to worry. Now, how is that fair? It is just not fair. It's not equitable. I feel that this is one of the main reasons why this is such a badly thought through law or regulation because it gives listings officers discretion to choose. And in my view, that's a bit like driving down a road and the police jump out at you and say, you right, that's it, fine. we're going to fine you because you were driving at 35 miles an hour. And you say, yeah, but there's no speed limits here. I don't know what the speed limit is. I mean, it's a country road. I'd expect it to be 50. Oh, no, 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 we've changed all of that. And then the next person comes through driving at 20 miles an hour and the police officer jumps out and says, right, that's it, we're fining you for speeding. And the guy says, well, hold on a minute. I thought this was a 30 mile an hour. Oh, we've changed all that now. It's 20 again. And you just don't know where you stand. And the law is not supposed to operate like that. The law is supposed to be easy to understand, easy to navigate, equitable for people to be able to comply with. So when we formed the HMO Council Tax Reform Group, we knew we had a fight on our hands. And the first fight was to take Darren's initial HMO to appeal. So that went all the way to an appeal stage at the Valuation Tribunal, what's called the First Stage Tribunal. And as we fully expected, he lost. Because if you go to tribunal, the tribunal is made up of a magistrate and then also of a panel of volunteers. And then they have a representation from the Valuation Office Agency, normally the listings officer, plus their legal team. And Unfortunately, because the voluntary panel is not well versed in the intricacies of council tax law, and why would they be? Otherwise, you have a very sad life if that's what you do do. They <laughs> usually defer to the valuation listings officer. And the listings officer has, of course, decided that the house is rightfully to be rebanded. And it, it always goes in the favour of the valuation office agency. There has been a couple of cases recently where because of you could call them technicalities, the owner, the landlord of the property has won their case. But these are very unusual HMO setups. And they're probably they're probably not reflective of what the rest of us, how the rest of us might run our properties, because actually what they were doing would have broken the rules of their licensing. So I'm, I won't go into those slightly oddball kind of cases right now. But the rule of thumb has been if you do challenge and you do take this all the way to appeal, you will not win. And Darren did not win. So we went back to the drawing board and said, okay, 
we realised that encouraging people to go down the tribunal route and helping them by giving them all sorts of methods and insight and education, it's just not cutting it. It's just not going to have the effect that we, we want this to have. So we have to go to the heart of where this starts, and that is the government. We have to lobby the government to make the legal change necessary so that the valuation office agency can no longer behave in this way. So that's really where our energies have been focused. So we wrote a consultation paper about June, July of last year and circulated that. That got into the hands of many, many, many local MPs. I think we had about 250 local MPs who were contacted by the various different members of the group and also of the Facebook group. We had a we wrote out a template letter to write to your MP about this. And if you are a constituent in a certain MP's constituency, they have a an obligation to, to take forward what your concerns are. They, they don't necessarily have to agree with it, but as a constituent, you have a right of access to your MP. So what was great was that one of our committee members, his MP is Michael Gove, who was the, the Minister for Housing. Then he lost his job. Then he regained his job. Then he lost his job. Then he regained his job. <laughs> it was a bit of an up and down year for Michael Gove. But the good thing was because our committee member had access to Michael Gove, he had a number of conversations with him. He had some surgery appointments with him and he explained the situation. And I think that has really helped to pave the way to where we are now. So then in October last year, we were contacted by the Department for Housing to write an amendment that would go in the levelling up bill. So the levelling up bill is currently making its way through its, through its readings through Parliament. And Caroline Dynage, who is the MP for Gosport South, I think, and her Darren is in her constituency. She decided that she would promote this, that she would sponsor this amendment to the levelling up bill. So we gave her the wording. And the wording simply is that if you have a room in an HMO that is not self-contained, this room should not have the status of a dwelling and therefore should not be liable for individual council tax. It's a bit more technical than that, but that's basically the message. So we're not talking about all dwellings. We're only talking about HMOs. We're only talking about HMOs which have rooms that are not self-contained. So if you have a room that has the facilities for eating, sleeping, cooking and washing, that is what we would count as being self-contained. If you've got one of those HMOs, you're probably still going to get rebanded. But we're talking about the typical HMO, which is five, six, seven rooms has a few en suites, maybe a couple of shared bathrooms. And that is the kind of HMO that's being rebanded. And that's what we want to see change. So that then made its way to the House of Commons and was read. But unfortunately, there weren't quite enough sponsors to the amendment to get it through that reading. So Anyway, long story short, we're now at the position where the amendment is going to have a consultation period of about four weeks, probably starting at the end of January. We haven't had the consultation released yet. We've seen a, the first draft of the consultation and we've commented on it and sent it back. Again, a little bit technical, a little bit heavy, we felt, so we gave them that feedback. Once the consultation is over, we are 90% confident that the amendment will be written into the levelling up bill and it will make its way through the successive readings and will become legislation in the next term of parliament. 
So we're very hopeful, Andy, but it's still, it's, we're not there yet. Well, I mean, Wendy, I guess, first of all, I just want to say thank you for all of this work you've done. I mean, I can't even imagine how much work has been in, involved in, in doing this and preparing this. And I suppose thank thank God that you guys are doing this because the implications of this are so... You now, I actually you know, I see a lot of stuff that's happening at the minute and, and see some pretty, you know, pretty nasty stuff on the horizon, other stuff in the levelling up bill, you know, and that concerns me. But this actually is... This is kind of another level because this could be implemented so quickly on any property at the minute and, and almost overnight kind of render it unviable or, or maybe effectively pointless to even do in the first place at least for the work that's involved so yeah you know i suppose incredibly grateful that you guys are out there doing this work but it's despite the hard work that you've done and despite i mean i suppose i'm sitting here and thinking how on earth can they do this you said you know you made a point around the law the law fundamentally has to be fair you know it's the same law for me it's the same law for you it's the same for somebody else and clearly that's just not the case and so i'm really struggling to comprehend how they can even do it and this this idea of giving certain people this artistic license to kind of just do as they please is is so so scary and I don't really sort of think about, you know, what would happen if this didn't get through. And please, God, it does. I think that this is so important. In the meanwhile, Wendy, if this went through and it looked like this was was going to get written in, I would imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong, that VOA and these people across the country would see that. They might be made aware if they tried to start, you know, continue doing this to HMO landlords. And maybe they will take their foot off thinking this is kind of pointless because we know that this is coming into the law at some point. Do you see that there would be almost an immediate slowing down of this? Oh, there'd be immediate cessation. So, yeah. I mean, at the moment, I've got a few clients that I'm working with who've come to me specifically for my help on HMOs and council tax. So they're not looking for mentoring and advice about building their HMO portfolio. They just want, they've already got HMOs. They now want help to fight the rebanding that has occurred or is in the process of occurring. And what I'm saying to everybody is if you're in that situation, you want to string this out for as long as possible because I think it's very likely this will become law. I think there is going to have to be some guidance, of course, written for the listings officers of the VOA to be able to implement the changes, which really result in them not being able to reband HMOs. What we also, of course, want to ensure is that listings officers do not have the discretion that they currently have, because that's where the problem has emanated from. So we need to ensure that that is resolved and removed from their job role so that they can't then say, well, this is a slightly different HMO or well, this one does require single banding because of X, Y and Z. We need to make it super clear if they are going to reband. And for example, one of the phrases that Michael Gove has used in a letter on this matter, he said very clearly that an HMO should be banded as a single dwelling unless there are exceptional circumstances. Now, what does that mean? That's the bit that we're still wondering about. Our group has recommended that anything above 15 bedrooms would be an exceptional circumstance because, as you can imagine, if you have a 15-bedroom HMO, you've got 15 at least tenants living there. It would be quite unreasonable for that house to be on a band A council tax because you've got 15 people living there. You've got all the bins. You've got all the waste. You've got all the services that they're going to be utilising. You know, a band A would not really be very uh, sensible. So how do you then band a property like that? So what we've recommended is that you might take floor by floor 
so that each floor would have its own banding, maybe a band B for each floor, or there'd be a different way of dividing up that property. But what we are firmly against is the what's called the disaggregation of HMOs on the stealth by the VOA, creating small dwellings, because there are other implications for that, Andy. For example, after 10 years, you could get a certificate of lawful use on that HMO, which effectively tells you that you now have, let's say, six individual bedrooms, and they now have their own planning class. They now become C3 units because they have been used as a C3 unit. They have got the dwelling status applied by the VOA, and you'd be really entitled to automatic planning rights on on those units, even though they're not self-contained and they don't meet minimum space standards. So these are the intricacies and the difficulties, the unintended consequences that have arisen as a result of the BOA's terrible activity. And that's why we have to stop it. Now, I, I believe that it will be stopped. I believe that the, the legislation will go through. There are some humps and bumps to get over before then. But I think that until then, I would recommend that anybody just tries to, well, they, they probably want to contact us, contact me, and I can give them some initial advice and handholding. But I think that once this does go through, I think it will eliminate the problem, apart from possibly, as I say, larger HMOs. I think larger HMOs may still have some, there'll be a little bit of debate about what to do with those. But the, you know, the typically average HMO, which is anywhere between five and maybe eight bedrooms, will no longer be affected by this problem. Wendy, you said that your your advice at the moment for anyone who was maybe in the midst of sort of being rebanded was to string string this out. I think you said that the consultation should hopefully begin at the end of January. How long would, was that going to be for, Wendy? Well, originally we'd, we'd been told six weeks, but yesterday they brought it down to four weeks. <laughs> so okay. I think they want it to happen as quickly as possible. <laughs> so this could, fingers crossed, happen quite quickly. Let's let's hope it does. And you said your advice was to, just in the meanwhile to string this along. What does that, when you're dealing with people like this who are, um, I guess, fundamentally unreasonable, that's kind of what we're saying. How do you do this? Is this just literally just playing a game of sort of tennis with the admin and, and just writing back and just making it difficult? They will generally ask you for information. So they'll probably ask for your tenancy agreements, which you should not give them. And they will also probably ask for a floor plan, which is not so uh, contentious. I would possibly say, yes, eventually, once they become difficult, I would maybe send them a floor plan. But yeah, it's just a case of you've got a holiday booked, you've perhaps got COVID, you know, the dog's died. Things have happened, which has meant it's not been so easy for you to uh, respond so quickly to your emails as you would have liked. And it's just taken a lot of time. I've got you, Wendy, loud and clear. And it's refreshing hearing somebody in our industry be as candid about something as serious as this, Wendy, because I think that that's absolutely what is this. The more I think about it is completely bonkers. They can do this, but they are doing it. And actually, you just said then, do not give them your tenancy agreements. Actually... I guess the first thought would be if someone with the clout of the VOA asks you for your tenancy agreements, you'd probably think, I should probably give them my tenancy agreements because I'm going to get in trouble. And when it comes to things like council tax, they're so aggressive. My team are fantastic and, and I don't really get involved in managing any of the bills with my team. And But anything that comes from the council and the speed at which they escalate things really, really sort of 
it's quite quite upsetting. And yeah, you know, even even my team, if we miss something or if some of our student tenants have forgotten, for example, to tell the council about their status and who's living there, we're getting strapped with huge bills, fines, red writing, threats of court, and and I guess it's very easy to feel like you're a small man here, and you know these are the big guys, and you kind of just need to toe the line. Oh, yes. They want to intimidate you. They want to bully you. They want to tell you they're in charge. They want to tell you they're boss. But just you've got to fight it. What I've learned in life is actually this is about something much, much bigger than money. This is about power. This is about control. And as individual citizens of this country, we have a right to stand up and make our voices heard. And the minute that we lose that, the minute that we forget that, we are in trouble. So this fight is not just about winning the council tax battle. It's a very niche part of the housing market. It's a very niche problem in a niche part of the housing market. But this is actually about citizens saying no more. We're not going to take this anymore and we are going to fight you tooth and nail. And we're going to explain why what you're doing does not make sense. It doesn't make sense for the housing market. It doesn't make sense for HMOs. It is completely immoral. It is illegal. It is ultraviaries and we are not going to stand for it. And you have to become, like me, a bit of a warrior. Darren calls me Warrior Wendy. <laughs> because if you don't find that part of you which is the fighter which is the aggressor they will walk all over you and yet the interesting thing is andy it is all a complete front it is total fakery none of this is real i know from speaking to alan murdy our barrister just the reality of the situation with forgot for example local council council tax magistrates so like you say if you don't pay your council tax you then get a red letter big warning letter. If you don't pay your council tax at that point, then they will call you into a hearing. And it's all touched as being incredibly serious and it's all very legal. And, you know, you're going to go down for two years for non-payment of council tax. And this is going to happen to you and that's going to happen to you. And it's all very, very serious. So HMO landlords think, oh, I, I, oh, I want to keep my HMO. I want to keep my license. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. I better not go down this route. Right here you have all this information. You can have it all. And then all they do is reband you and then you're stuck. And it's worse than it was before. But actually, you don't need to do that because there are ways written in to the legislation, to the 1992 Local Government Finance Act, that allow you to suspend or adjourn the hearing if you are appealing your rooms. There is no need for you to send in your ASTs. In fact, I would recommend you don't because of the way that the VOA uses those to imply rateable occupation. And in so doing, they therefore, uh, and this is again, it's a little bit technical, but by implying rateable occupation, they imply that this is a dwelling. And by then, they then say, ha ha, right, we've got you. It's a dwelling. Therefore, we're going to reband you. So you're absolutely right that we, we are trained. Our, our mindset is that we don't fight the authorities. We do what we're told. We're legal. We're told of the threat of civil and criminal action if we don't have a, an HMO license. So we get our HMO licenses in. We know the importance of getting EPCs and gas certs and electrical services. So we get all of those in. We stick with the law. But what we're doing, we are being slowly pressured and oppressed. And I know that sounds like a real kind of big word for a Tuesday morning and to say that this is oppression that's happening. But it is. It is oppression by the back door. And I think it's really important that we who are running small businesses, for that is what we are, whether you have one HMO or 26 HMOs, you're running a small business. You're adding to the, the economy. 
You're adding to the housing stock, which is, as we know, absolutely vital. It's time that we stood up and were counted and said, this far and no further. The state cannot keep reaching into our business and into our private life to the extent that it has done. And we are fighting back. And that's actually what this rests upon. It's much bigger than just council tax and HMOs. This is actually about a group of people, as Margaret Mead once said, who are uh, focused enough this, I'm paraphrasing her words here, but she said it, it uh, changes in the world happen when a small group of committed people decide to make an impact. And that's what we are doing. And whether we do more after this is resolved or we decide to hang up our boots and have a big party, it will. I think you can probably guess <laughs> the answer. But as landlords, we have suffered enough at the hands of this Conservative government for over 10 years or 12 years, I believe, uh, with Section 24, with the growth of regulation, with the increase in licensing, and now with the council tax problem. And my feeling is this this cannot go on and somebody has to stand up and make a stance and actually make it happen. And it's it's not just, it's not me, it's the group of us doing this. It's, it's our small committee, it's the Facebook group, it's the wider community who've made this happen. So when it happens, yeah, we're going to have a big celebration i tell you what wendy i am really grateful that that we have got you and we need more people like you Wendy. we need more sort of worry wendy's out there you know, because it is getting harder and harder we're getting squeezed more and more and you're right we've got to stand up for ourselves and there's a lot to stand up for actually you said wendy that there's the group and some places where people can come and find a bit more support more information they can i think speak directly with people who have been affected and gone through this, the process themselves. For anyone listening today who's thinking, this is exactly what I need, where should they go? So if you're on Facebook, search HMOCT. That is our group name. So you'll find us on Facebook. Or even if you just do a search on HMOs and council tax, I think you'll find our group will probably come up as number one in your search results. Just join the group, you know, apply to join the group and we'll add you to the group. There's lots of uh, information there. There's quite a few people who've either been through the process and sadly have, have not won their appeal, but they could advise you about how to go through an appeal. We also regularly put updates about the campaign and how the campaign is going. And you'll get to meet some very interesting people there who've got some other experience also in dealing with council tax, which is uh, useful. You can also come onto our website, which is HTTPS, the protected website, uh, hmosandcounceltax.co.uk. Again, if you search for that, hopefully that should come up on Google. We've tried to optimise that, but hmosandcounceltax.co.uk is the website. We have a contact us button on that website. So if you're wanting some advice and help, please just send us a quick message and I will be responding to you because I pick up all of those messages. So if you want to have a call, if you want to chat through something, message us on our website and I'll get in touch. We can set up a free call and, and give you some initial advice and handholding as to what to do. Then if you want further advice, we have got ways in which you can access further advice through the team. But yeah, those are the two main ways I'd say through our website and through the Facebook group. Wendy, I've learned a huge amount about this today. I wish I'd have um, paid a bit more attention earlier on. But I, like I said, I am really grateful that you and the team that you've got around you have been doing this work. And I'm so hopeful that the narrative changes. So I'm going to be very sort of keenly keeping an eye out for your updates. I'm going to come and join the group myself and let's hope that this goes well. But thank you for coming on the show today. 
Thank you for enlightening us all, keeping us up to date, bringing us up to speed. And thank you for all the work you're doing, Wendy. You're very welcome, Andy. It's been a pleasure. And fingers crossed to 2023 being a great year for this campaign. Thanks, Wendy. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you found that a useful episode. I'm sure if you're investing in professional HMOs, then you certainly did. Thank you again to Wendy and her team for campaigning against this ridiculous piece of, let's say, questionable legislation on our behalf. Guys, if you're out there listening, if you're in the firing line yourself, if you're being affected, don't sit still. Make sure you do take what Wendy has said today and put it all into action. Don't forget that if you want to level things up, then unfortunately, council tax isn't your only hurdle or obstacle. You've got issues with finding the right finance, finding more deals, the operational management and running of your HMOs and your business, and much, much more. But the good news is we've got everything you could possibly need and more waiting for you inside the HMOroadmap.co.uk. You'll find dozens and dozens of fantastic case studies from our community members. You'll find the deal stackers to help you analyse your deals. You'll find dozens of downloadable resources and tools, tools that I actually use in my business every single day that'll help you and much, much more. And don't forget that if you want to discuss anything at all to do with your HMO property business, if you need some guidance and support, then come on over to the HMO community. That's our free group on Facebook. There's nearly 6,000 of us now. We're there to help you as much as we possibly can. So come and check it out. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. And don't forget that I'll be right back here in the very same place next week. So please join me then for another installment of the HMO podcast. (laughs) 